Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I'm grateful for you listening to the 67th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Years podcast. We're going to be worth your time again this week. Uh, we're going to do it here at the top with some points about what the Royals are doing right now that can serve as sort of a, a tangible indication of what's on the way. Uh, questions, we got NFL roster cuts, whether Salvi Perez is the second best player in Royals history already, Kansas City's World Cup bid, and then the bonus section is all Chiefs, um, including the best audio uh, that I heard all week. Uh, we're gonna take care of you again. Um, okay, we just, we gotta start the show with the Royals and, and Mondesi and the future. And let me say right here, now, that if you're not interested in any of this, you dismiss it out of hand. Royal schmoils, like I, I think you'll be missing something. But you know, I also get it. Like Royals are well out of a, a, a playoff spot; they're barely out of last place. And if you know, if we're honest, there's a chance that Mondesi will be hurt again between the time that I'm recording this and the time that you listen to it, right? So, uh, but they've got some real stuff working here, and um, you know, the, the Royals can be criticized fairly for a lot of things, but they are adaptive, and they do try different things, and I think you're gonna start to see that in the big leagues pretty soon, and let's start with Mondesi. The, the Royals are being deliberate with him, and things have changed uh, around him, and, and sort of how the Royals see him, and he knows that, um, and you can see it. The Royals have handled Mondesi the way that, honestly, the way that I think a lot of big league teams would, um, you know, just seeing all that talent and they fed him opportunities that they knew, you know, his production had not demanded, but they thought that this sort of otherworldly talent could take advantage of those chances. You know, they, they gave him the opening day job at second base in 2017. Um, and they planned on batting him third before he was injured shortly before opening day this season. I mean, he just, he keeps getting these opportunities, right? He was the shortstop when he returned in May. He was the shortstop when he returned in June. And now that he's returning in September, he's the DH in his first game back. And there's plans to put him at third base on a limited schedule going forward. Um, you know, he was the cleanup hitter his last game in June before he got hurt. Um, he hit seventh when he came back this week. So um, there are a lot of reasons for this. And uh, I'm sort of shorthanding them here when I tell you that the Royals believe this is what's best for Mondesi and what's best for the team kind of more broadly. because. Look, Nicky Lopez has been a revelation this season. Um, you know, he's gone from trying to play second base in the minor leagues to now being the everyday shortstop in the big leagues. And he has done it so well, the Royals really have no choice but to keep him there. Right? So um, Lopez is kind of bailing the Royals and Mondesi out here, if we're honest, because uh, it's been clear really since that second injury at the end of May that the Royals can no longer build their future around Mondesi in the same way. The, the talent is outrageous. Like, I don't think I need to keep saying that, but it's outrageous. He is one of the most gifted athletes uh, in all of Major League Baseball, and that is not hyperbole. But, you know, shortstop is really one of, you know, I'd say three positions in baseball that a team really needs some certainty with. Uh, the other two being uh, catcher and center field. And there's just, obviously, there's no way that the Royals can be certain here at shortstop with Montessi. So they're doing what I think is the next best thing. They're going to play him more at third base, and I'd expect more days at, at, as a DH as well. They'll give him regular days off, um, use performance science to, to, to basically obsess over what, you know, the NBA started calling like load management, right? So Again, Nicky Lopez is really the key because he gives the Royals a dependable and really good defender at shortstop. So they can afford to be careful. And so, look, if, if Mondesi is playing four times a week, five times a week, you know, with a regular one, two, three days off every week, um, you know, plus some games as a DH, you know, maybe they can get 100 big league games out of him. Maybe 110, maybe 120. I don't know. But, um, you know, maybe this is a situation where if you pull back a little bit, 
what you get without pushing him is more than you get treating him like he's, you know, Alcides Escobar or whatever and never comes out of the lineup. So, um, look, the Royals, this needs to be said, too. The Royals are really well positioned to do something like this because there is a lot of positional versatility in their guys. Like, Whit Merrifield can basically play everywhere but shortstop, pitcher, and catcher. Hunter Dozier can play corner infield and outfield. Uh, Lopez can play either middle infield spot. You know, the Royals haven't said this, but I wouldn't be surprised if they asked Mondesi to mix in some outfield next year, too. Uh, at least the corners. So, look, Bobby Witt Jr. is is playing shortstop in Omaha. And everybody who's seen him there believes he can do it in the big leagues. And 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 that's a great luxury to have, um, you know, if Lopez gets hurt. But, you know, the, the good thing about being able to play shortstop, it means you can really play anywhere. So, um, the Royals took a look at him. You probably remember this uh, at second base in spring training. But... You know, if we're honest, like it didn't really take. Like I don't know what the reason is. He's a little bit bigger guy. Maybe that's part of it. Whatever. He just didn't look smooth there. You know, um, he's a terrific athlete. Um, but again, whatever reason, it just that athleticism didn't really show at second base. So the Royals are really intrigued by him at third base, um, which would mean a super athletic and good defensive infield, um, especially on that left side. But I'm going to keep wondering out loud about Bobby Witt Jr. playing center field. Um, it, it, it just makes too much sense to me, um, you know, assuming he can do it, right? And, and I've asked enough questions around the organization now. I know they're at least thinking about it. You know, I know they're at least intrigued by it. Um, and maybe that's something to watch this offseason, um, and especially in spring training to see if they do try it in, in games. Because if he can do that, and, you know, just to be clear here, like, it's not a lock. Center field is really hard, um, and, and the Royals have really high standards for what they want defensively in center field. But if he can do it, then that is a great way to still make sure that his athleticism is on the field and and being maximized. Um, it's a regular spot in the lineup, and it solves sort of the unknown that the Royals have right now in center field. Look, like Michael A. Taylor is a terrific defender, and that's what the Royals bought. And it's worth noting here, uh, baseball reference has Taylor worth two and a half war so far this season. That is fourth on the team. That's behind Salvi, Merrifield, and Nicky Lopez and nobody else. So Michael A. Taylor has been worth every penny that the Royals have paid and more. And uh, But... Taylor's going to turn 31 before next season, and he's a free agent with a 658 OPS. So if if the Royals can get to a place where they think Witt Jr. isn't too much of a step back defensively from Taylor, I think that could be a way to sort of like supercharge the lineup. So, um, you know, at that point, the future of the Royals really starts to look pretty bright. You know what I mean? Like we know what Salvi and Whit Merrifield are. Lopez is locked down shortstop. Nick Prado is destroying minor league pitching. He could be a long-term answer at first base. Um, you'd have Mondesi kind of roaming between like third base and DH, and I think maybe the corner outfield spots. Witt Jr., maybe he's in center. MJ Melendez can you know lighten Perez's load behind the plate, also maybe play corner infield and outfield spots. I mean, that's seven guys right there who are either established stars or young with the talent to soon establish himself as stars. You know what I mean? So, uh, And there's still guys like Hunter Dozier, uh, Benintendi, Manny Rivera, Kyle Isbell. I mean, you can win with a core like that. So I also want to take a quick minute here to talk about um, Jackson Kowar. You know, the pitching is part of this as well, obviously. Um, Kowar was really terrific the other night. His first start back from the minor leagues. Went six innings, six strikeouts, no earned runs against the Indians. And I'm not telling you that Kowar is now an ace or whatever. Um, I'm not even telling you that he'll have a run of success like Daniel Lynch has had since coming back from Omaha. Um, all I know, the, the Royals liked what they saw from him in Omaha the last few months. And he was striking out a ton of guys there, but 
his walks were higher than you'd like. His ERA was over five. So, uh, but look, I, I think we also know AAA offense is, is bonkers this year for whatever reason. And, you know, besides like the, those sort of like traditional numbers there don't really mean nearly as much as like the advanced stuff. Um, you know, what scouts see with pitch movement, repeatable mechanics, you know, all that stuff. So, um, you know, what we saw in the big leagues the other night was just objectively terrific from Coar and and not for nothing but the Royals now have all four of those 2018 draft headliners in the rotation and that is an incredible thing and it is a hell of an accomplishment for both each of those guys and the organization sort of more broadly and you know really like that draft guys like that would be a success if they just got one of those guys to turn into a big league starter so the fact that they still might get four is just really rare um then adding carlos hernandez you know like it just it doesn't make sense to me that guy wasn't signed until he was 19 or whatever because like just watching his stuff in the big leagues i mean i I think i'd take him right now over any of those draft picks you know and and i think the royals are also pretty optimistic about brad brad keller's injury and that's no small thing because a blown shoulder i mean that would have meant like maybe missing all of next season and and then who knows what you get after that so jacob junis looked as good as i can remember him the other night in in his first start back so guys like look i'm not stupid um we're all adults here and you know the royals are close to last place they've had some really disappointing individual seasons uh, and the division, the division is really good. Um, you know, the White Sox aren't going anywhere. Indians seem to always be at least competitive. The Tigers have some really high-end guys in their system. So, look, we're a long way from the Royals being able to, like, you know, claim success here. Um, you know, the burden of proof is on them, you could say, like, and, and on all of them, like guys in the clubhouse, uh, guys in the minor leagues, front office, everywhere else. I'm just saying, like, just using this week to tell you that there are a lot of reasons to think that the thing could take off pretty soon. Um, that's all I'm saying. Um, okay, guys, uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, here is the spiel. Uh, three asks, and you know we're still cool if you only do one or two or zero or whatever, um, but I got to ask. The first, please help support us uh, by giving the Sports Pass a try. dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and, and I'll send that along to you. Uh, the second, please rate and review the podcast. Uh, Savannah and I appreciate all the love you've given us already. We see you. Thank you. We see all the five-star ratings. Thank you. I'm just saying, if you haven't already done that, if you haven't already given us a rating and review, please do it. It really helps us get the word out. And I love, you guys are are actually listening to me, which I love, five stars only. I love seeing that, guys. Uh, Thank you. The third thing, if you want to participate in next week's show, and I hope you do, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Uh, Put the number in your phone, call anytime, 816-234-4365. One more time, just rewind it um, if you need to write it down or whatever. 816-234-4365. All right, guys, I appreciate you. Uh, Quick break, and then we're back with the questions. Sam Hayes is Rob Massard from Hendersonville, Tennessee. Today was cut day for the Chiefs and the rest of the NFL, and I noticed that in a tweet 
Urban Meyer mentioned that vaccine or vaccinations of his players played into some of his decision-making. And, of course, um, today was the big news about Cam Newton. love to hear your opinion about where you think clubs should fall in thinking about their 53 and, and even beyond regarding vaccinations and especially as it extends beyond uh, the NFL and everywhere else. Appreciate your time and obviously enjoy your podcast. Have a great day and Labor Day weekend. Look, um, if we're just being honest, um, this is just Urban Meyer being new to the NFL and, and saying the quiet part out loud. And because, of course, teams factor this in, right? Like, we'd have to be delusional to believe otherwise. I don't know why the NFL made this rule that says teams have to pretend otherwise. Like, you know, teams talk to janitors at old high schools before they draft a guy in the sixth round. You know what I mean? Like, they consider whether a guy was raised by, with, with both parents in his life. You know, they want to know about an injury that happened like sophomore year in high school. Um, you know, they'd be crazy not to think about vaccination status, right? Because the the vaccines and look, like we're all adults, nothing's 100% um, in life, <laughs> right? But the NFL's numbers basically mirror what we've seen everywhere else, which is unvaccinated people, um, unvaccinated players so far have had a seven times seven times higher chance of getting COVID than the vaccinated. And, uh, you know, COVID cases mean that player is out for some period of time. And the league rules are so tilted that unvaccinated players have to miss more time. And if it's determined a team had an outbreak because of unvaccinated players, you got to forfeit a game. It's a loss. Nobody gets paid that week. I mean, honestly, uh, maybe this is just me being stupid, but I, I'm a little surprised that vaccine rates aren't even higher in the NFL than they are. And um, it, 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 we should say the NFL um, teams are tracking way above national average in vaccine rates. But I just this league is like comically obsessed with limiting distractions. Right. And, and guys have a really limited window to make money. And so I don't know. I just would have expected this to be like at or near 100 percent for this group. But um, anyway, you're asking about like vaccine policies in general. And look, I'm at least a little conflicted on this because like one of my core beliefs is that people should be free to do or not do whatever they want if they're not hurting somebody else, you know. Um, and so there's this part of me that says like, cool, let's make sure everybody has the information and then we can all make responsible decisions. Um, but you know, by now it's also true guys, like we would be on our way to getting COVID out of our lives forever, mask mandates and, and everything else. If everybody was, was vaccinated, um, again, it's not hundred percent, um, you know, and it's probably a little less effective now than it was like even six or seven months ago. Cause the virus is, is mutating and all these other things, but uh, it's still our best plan forward, um, you know, just like getting rid of this and, you know, not having more lockdowns that, that nobody likes. So um, I don't know. I end up in this place where private businesses um, have a right to operate how they see best. And that includes like requirements for vaccination and either, you know, penalties or, you know, even termination for not following those requirements. So it sucks nobody's nobody's pumped up about it right but how long do we want to keep doing this you know um so i don't know i i just want to say here like the the shot is really easy <laughs> it's free um the vast majority of people i know who've had it have had similar experiences to me which is you know little or no side effects uh maybe a sore arm for like a day or two not a day or two a day um and you know maybe you feel like you have a little cold or a hangover or whatever it's 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 really easy 
really effective. If you haven't had it yet, I hope you consider it. But um, also, don't listen to me. I'm just a dummy. Um, call your doctor. Um, okay, we, let's get away from this. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's get away from COVID. Here's Paul. Sam, this is Paul from Wichita. I'd be curious about your thoughts about the second greatest player primarily identified as a Kansas City Royal. So after George Brett, who's next and where does Salvador Perez fit into that discussion? I would guess that uh, Frank White, Amos Otis would also be on that list. Thanks. These things are hard um, because I, I think we all tend to either like be a prisoner of the moment or like a prisoner of some long held stance. You know what I mean? Like it, it's hard to like sort of step back and take inventory of context when you're still in the moment. You know what I mean? So um, we can do these things differently. You know, like for instance, is the question is about the totality of the career, right? Like I know you said, uh, Paul, I know you said like you're, you're talking about players who identify primarily as Royals, but you know, does that include Carlos Beltran um, and what he did in the playoffs with Houston and the Mets and everything else? Um, Zach Greinke kind of similar, similar deal. I don't know. Um, it's probably not like it, you know, I think what you're asking, uh, probably includes Lorenzo Kane, but you know, does Kane's time in Milwaukee count, you know, or is it just about what they did in Kansas city? So I think the spirit of, of these conversations is usually to judge it by, you know, the totality, right? Not just the peak, but the whole thing and keep it to what they did with the Royals. Um, and, and if that's what, if that's where we're at, uh, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to stick with the old heads who often say that Amos Otis is, is the answer to this question. Like, uh, he's overlooked a lot and I don't really know why. Um, he played 14 years here, made five all-star teams, won three gold gloves. He had four top eight MVP finishes, including, uh, he finished third and he finished fourth another year. Good enough center fielder that, you know, he's why Willie Wilson was in left field, um, for, for so long. You know, Amos Otis hit in the middle of the lineup for some of the best teams in Royals history. So um, he's four behind Mike Sweeney for second all-time in home runs. Um, he's 29 hits behind Frank White for second there, despite playing, you know, fewer seasons. He's second in runs all-time, second in steals. I mean, he's just like, Amos Otis is at or near the top in just about every category you can think of. Um, he's second all-time uh, among position players in war. So, look, I think there's a really good case to be made for Frank White. And if that's your choice, I'm not going to, you know, argue the point with any passion. Like Frank was a star, eight gold gloves, World Series, 18 years, all of that. Um, and I actually think there's an underappreciated case for included pitchers. I think there's an underappreciated case for Kevin Apier uh, with his consistency. Look, look up his stats sometime. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, <laughs> speaking of looking up stats, Willie Wilson in 1980, if you just look at that, Willie Wilson in 1980 was probably better than any player has ever been for the Royals other than George Brett. Um, but anyway, for me, this question, for me, the answer is still Otis. And, um, you know, you're asking specifically about Salvi. And I guess I would tell you, like, it's either him or Gordon um, that's that's rounding out the top five position players of all time, um, you know, with, with along with George Brett, Amos Otis, Willie Wilson, and Frank White. Um, and, you know, even if this ends up as the best season Salvi will ever have, um, I think by the time he's done, he's going to have a really credible case. And, and maybe it's even an overwhelming case, but he will have a really credible case for number two all time. I just, he still has to do it though, you know, and, and I can sit here and this is true. I can sit here and tell you that I expect he will do it. Um, but I think he just, he still has to do it. So, um, okay guys, uh, let's finish out with, uh, something a little different. Hey Sam, 
Tom from Lenexa, Kansas. Uh, my question is regarding the World Cup qualifiers that are beginning to start up. I was wondering what your take is on where do you think the U.S. will wind up at the end of this in the hex? And as a bonus question, do you believe Kansas City will be selected as one of the final cities for the World Cup, hosting World Cup in 2026? Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. So I am cautiously optimistic about the U.S. men's national team. Like I I think that loss to Trinidad and Tobago was like just – always going to be a defining moment good or bad right it's either going to suck out all the self-esteem and credibility like just the whole operation um or it's going to be the fuel to make sure we never feel like that again you know and and i think if you look at so many of the young players um that we have in the best european leagues and they're succeeding there there's more on the way i just think you have to say like at least so far um and i mean we just made a similar point with salvi right but this is only so far and there's a long way to go but i think at least so far it's looking it's looking strong so um i talked to cliff illig recently about the world cup and uh we put some of that conversation on the podcast i hope you remember that um and if not go back and listen to it but um you know there's some real optimism in and around kansas city or at least some hope uh that we can get games here and it makes sense we got a lot going for us um geography facilities new airport terminal like all, all that stuff but and i don't know maybe this is my like kansas city insecurity coming out but i just can't shake the feeling that FIFA is going to look at our geography and the facilities, especially that National Performance Center, and say, you know, you guys are perfect for some base camps. And we'll put games somewhere else, you know, just include more cities. I just, I, I can't help that feeling, you know, that we're going to end up being, you know, being told that like base camps are just as good as games in some ways because there's chances to get closer to the players or whatever, uh, see more teams, whatever. Um, you know, same as we've been told for years that uh, the T-Mobile Center is better off without an anchor tenant because it means more open dates for concerts, right? Like, uh, I think we all know that's baloney. Um, and I think we all know that base camps would be like a consolation prize. And uh, I'm not telling you here that there's no shot at games or even that it's unlikely. Um, I don't know that. I'm just telling you I can't shake that feeling. So I hope I'm wrong about that. But okay. All right, guys. You know we couldn't get through a week, even a week without a game, without talking some Chiefs. So uh, we'll do that one on the other side of a quick break. Okay, guys, let's finish strong. And we're going to start with the best thing that I heard all week, which was Jody Fortson shortly after finding out that he made the Chiefs 50-man roster, 53-man roster. This is great. Let's just get right to Jordy. This God is good, man. I don't I put a lot of time into this. And there was a lot of days that I thought that this, would, this wouldn't come. But I just stayed true to it. And I just kept working. And here we are. I just know, I know it's so much more work to do, but. I was told to take, you know, take my small victories as well and cherish them. So it's just, it's been a long road, though. It's been a long road. I mean, how good is that? Right. Like um, the story here is great. I mean, jo- Jody Fortson was a, a Juco quarterback, um, went to a small school, undrafted, you know, basically given a tryout at receiver. Then he's cut. Then he's asked to change positions and work on some specific things to get get to get better. Uh, he took it all to heart, and here he is on the best team in the NFL. It, it's just it's a really cool thing. One more piece from from, from Jody, and um, this one is uh, uh, somebody asked him if if there were times that he didn't think he'd make it. Uh, this is good stuff too. 
there's a couple different, a couple different, a few, like for instance, I'll just go back to the more recent one where, you know, it's, I'm a tryout, uh, walking on to the Kansas City Chiefs and, uh, I'm at tight end for the first time since 2006, and then they're throwing me in there, and I'm like, oh man, I, don't, I can't remember what a three point stance is, or, or who to block this, and I'm lining up wrong, and I'm just doing everything wrong. But I'm running fast, but I'm running, I'm doing everything wrong, and they just, they just gave me a chance. You know what I'm saying they gave me a chance to calm it down, and they, I did get cut, <laughs> I got cut, but then I had some time to reflect and be like, wow, like maybe this not for me. Like they won't make me a tight end. I haven't done this in a long time, but. Something told me to do it. God told me just to stick with it. You know what I'm saying? It's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off for you. Okay, just again, I don't know how you can't feel good for that guy. But um, okay, there's actual football to talk about here too. And um, there were three parts about the Chiefs cutting down to 53 that stood out to me. Uh, the first was cutting Tim Ward. He had a really strong preseason and, and not just in games. And, you know, the Chiefs have been like prioritizing defensive line depth. So, um, you know, that, that, was, that one was a surprise cut for me. The second was uh, keeping 10 offensive linemen, especially when that 10 doesn't include Kyle Long, who will probably, you know, begin on the pup list. And I think the expectation is that a guy or two will begin the season on IR. Um, so that would open up a spot. They might also be trying to hold on to these guys as long as they can just to make it more possible to get some get some of them on the practice squad, you know, keep them in the building. So um, I also think that this is just like some level of scar tissue, right? Like if you lose the Super Bowl the way that the Chiefs lost that Super Bowl to the Bucks, then if you're going to err, you're going to make sure, damn sure, that you err on the side of keeping too many offensive linemen, right? And then the third thing, and here it is, it, it's four tight ends, man. That is a lot of tight ends, you guys. And uh, I'd expect, like, honestly, I'm expecting one of those guys to be inactive a lot of weeks. But I'm less sure of that now just because, of you know, that 14 personnel touchdown that they had in the, in the preseason game. And, you know, also what I thought was the most interesting clip from Brett Veach's video call with some of us the other day. Um, here he is. Here's Brett when he's asked by Adam Teicher about keeping four tight ends. You know, keeping the best players, they do have roles. They did deserve the roster spots. And it became quite clear uh, and obvious to us that really on a flip side, because we've been on the other uh, other end of this, I, I think I feel like the last few years we've been looking for third, fourth tight ends. Um, and then to be able to, to get Blake in the offseason and then draft Noah and then have Jody have such a great camp. Um, we've been on the other end in regards to knowing how hard it is to find third, fourth tight ends. So, uh, you know, they deserved it. Uh, not just with their play at the position, but also special teams. Um, you know, coach will find a way to use these guys. And then I probably took three or four calls about teams asking about our tight ends over the weekend. So it became clear that these guys weren't making it through the claim period when teams were um, asking about certain players. So, uh, you know, I think, though, Adam, before we even took the calls, we were committed to taking four tight ends. I don't think it was a situation where we, we thought, well, uh, they want these guys, so let's keep them because we can't get them on the practice squad. So we're committed to the four tight end process, but uh, the combination of of these guys earning it, coach certainly having a plan to utilize these guys, and, and just knowing how hard they, they are to find, I think all played into the process. So that's interesting, right? Like um, that's a commitment to a plan, um, and at least talking about being able to use all four of those guys uh, at once. And whatever it's worth, um, I know that tight end depth has been on the front office and coaching staff's want list for a really long time. 
And, you know, if nothing else, I'm just, I'm really intrigued. This is nerdy, but I'm really intrigued to see what, you know, a better offensive line plus four tight ends, uh, what that can do to Andy Reid's imagination. You know what I mean? It could be really fun. And, uh, and we only have one more week until we see all of it in a real game, right? So uh, everybody wins. Okay, guys, uh, that's the show this week. One quick reminder, if you know of someone interesting in Kansas City doing interesting things that you'd like to hear on this show, please drop me a line. Thanks again for joining us. Please help us spread the word. Tell a friend we're worth your time. Uh, Please reach out to me if you can help support us with the Sports Pass. And please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. All right, thanks to everybody who called in, even those we couldn't get to. Uh, Thanks to Savannah Smith for putting this all together. And as always, the biggest thanks to you for joining and letting us be a small part of your life. Okay, have a great weekend. Be kind. 